Hey guys, welcome to the midterm review. Uh, so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, try and keep this as short as possible. There's 34 topics to go over um, and I'm going to try and keep them as short and as to the point as possible and not go off on any tangents um, here. So uh, let's jump right into it. First off, the midterm review is on E-Class. Uh, if you if you want a paper copy in front of you, uh, you can find it there and uh, let's get rolling. OK, so first up, Thomas Jefferson, Declaration of Independence and the Enlightened Ideas. Hopefully, you know, you know that Jefferson is going to be the author of the uh, Declaration of Independence. That's, I think, pretty basic knowledge for most people. Uh, and we need to remember that he took most of his ideas. I should say most, but a lot of the ideas from uh, John Locke and uh, that Enlightenment time period. OK, the main idea you got to know is he took the natural rights. Uh, those are something we still hold very dear today. That whole right to life, liberty, and Jefferson were a pursuit of happiness. Locke had written property, or um, the kind of the formed the basis of this document. And it's still something, like I said, we hold very dear today. If you're ever arrested, uh, you're going to get due process, which is making sure your due process, your uh, natural rights are protected. Um, and if they're going to take away your natural rights, you know, you're, if they're going to put you in jail and take away your right to life, liberty. Uh, in the pursuit of happiness. They're going to give you every opportunity to prove yourself innocent, all that kind of good stuff. All right. Uh, James Madison, Fed 51. Remember, Fed, the Federalist Papers, the whole series, all 80 or so, uh, 85 or whatever of the essays were written to support the Constitution. So, hey, we need to convince the people that this Constitution, this new central government is the way to go because they were blowing up the whole system. And so this one, Fed 51 specifically, um, is about uh, separation of powers and checks and balances. So the separation of powers, remember, that is where we don't want to have one person, one group having all the power. So we're going to have one group that writes the laws, one group that enforces them, and one group that interprets or judges them. Um, so we're going to have those separation of powers. Then plus, on top of that, we're going to have <clears throat> checks and balances where they can watch over each other. The president can veto this. Uh, Congress can override this, so on and so forth. So we're going to have all those things. So if you can understand that, uh, I think you're going to be okay. And then there's also a passage. Or it's a passage question. So if you have the understanding of what the Fed 51 was about, that, that, that knowledge, and then you can read the passage, I think you'll be okay for those questions. Uh, also, maybe go back and look at your discussions on E-Class uh, to help maybe jog your memory. All right, ways the Constitution can change. We'll do the amendment process now, number 12. But for this one, we're talking kind of informally. How can the how, the, how can we change the Constitution without changing the Constitution? And the number one way is going to be judicial. All right. When the court makes a decision, uh, it has the potential to informally change the Constitution. Uh, for example, in 2014, 2015, around there, uh, the court ruled on same-sex marriages. All right. They ruled that they were legal and states had to honor them uh, and all that, all that kind of stuff. All right. Now, today, you can't go to the Constitution and you can't find anywhere in there that it says anything about same-sex marriages. There's no amendment. There's nowhere in the, in the language about it. But it's done because of the decision of the court. So it didn't really change the Constitution, but it and kind of changed the Constitution. All right. Uh, constitutional, the little constitutional Convention compromises. There's three you got to know. Great compromise, maybe Connecticut. I call it great. I'll never call it the Connecticut compromise. Sorry, guys. Uh, but great compromise, the three-fifths, and the commerce. All right. The great compromise, very quickly, I think most people are familiar with this one. The Great Compromise is going to combine the New Jersey plan and the Virginia plan. Virginia plan had representation in Congress based on population. Big states loved it. Little states hated it. New Jersey plan had representation based on equality. Little states loved it. Big states hated it. So they had to come to an agreement. Well, let's just do two houses. And so they created the House 
based on population. They created the Senate based on equality. So every state has two. The three-fifths compromise, uh, the problem was population was going to determine your representation and how much you paid in taxes. The South wanted the slave population, which they had never counted as population before this. They wanted them to count for representation purposes, but not for tax purposes. And then the North wanted them to count for tax purposes, but not for representation purposes. So they both wanted to have it both ways. They eventually agreed on the three-fifths compromise where they're going to count three-fifths of the population. Finally, the commerce compromise. Uh, South did not want the, the federal government, the central government, to be able to touch the slave trade. Uh, so they have finally agreed on the fact that the federal government would not mess with the slave trade for 20 years, 1808 or so. Those are the compromises. I can't talk. I've been talking too much all day. Uh, the Constitutional Convention compromises. All right, rights that every human has a right to. That is those natural rights we already talked about. So right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Vital to our society. Uh, maybe not vital, I should say, but very, very dear to people's hearts. Right? They're going to protect those uh, as much as they can. Federalists versus the anti-federalists. Okay, the federalists, remember, they wanted the strong central government. They were for the Constitution. Anti-federalists were for, or not for, they were against it. Uh, the anti-federalists, they wanted to, to keep the system as was with the state governments having most of the power. Um, and being able to dictate to the central government what's going to happen. All right. So they, they weren't really on board with the whole, let's just blow up the articles and start over. Uh, the Federalists had to convince them. Eventually, the Bill of Rights will be used as a compromise for that. Remember, that's what it took to get the Anti-Federalists on board. The Republic versus the democracy. Okay, so remember, we live in a republic. And the republic is just the fact that we are going to have people making decisions for us. So we elect people to make decisions for us. Um, the democracy is how we elect them. So we, we li really live in a re representative democracy at this point, okay? And republic and representative democracy are basically interchangeable. Uh, but just remember, we are going to pick people to make decisions for us, okay? Um, we don't live in a direct or participatory democracy where we're out there making decisions, you know, for the government. Uh, we elect people who we then trust to make decisions for us. Separation of powers, what is each branch responsible for? Uh, just very quickly, we've already said this, but uh, legislative branch writes the laws, executive enforces, and the judicial interprets or judges. The First Amendment freedoms, uh, and then give examples from court cases. So the First Amendment freedoms, there's five of them. There's freedom of press, religion, speech, assembly, and petition. Okay, those are the five freedoms. Uh, I'm not going to go through every single court case that we could possibly go through. There's just tons of them. We talked about a bunch of them in class. But let's concentrate on the free speech, Texas versus Johnson and U.S. versus Eichmann. Both these cases dealt with flag burning. Um, the Texas versus Johnson uh, violated the state law. The Supreme Court said it's okay. Burning the flag is part of political speech, free speech, symbolic speech, whatever you want to call it. But they're, you're allowed to burn the flag. Everybody hated the decision. So the federal government, Congress, and the president tried to write up a federal law saying you can't burn the flag. Well, Eichmann burned the flag, got arrested on the federal law. Supreme Court blew it up as well. So, hey, you can burn the flag. So burning the flag is a part of symbolic or free speech. Articles Confederation and its ratification. Now, I did change this question uh, from the ratification to more so, uh, you know, just some of the problems with the articles when it comes to getting things done. And one of the big problems they had, one of the weaknesses was that if they wanted to amend the, the articles, they had to have everybody on board. So all 13 states had to agree to this. Uh, and it just, it, it wasn't going to work because you have big states versus little states. You have all these states worried about their own 
own problems and, and they're not going to uh, be concerned with what this state needs, this state needs. So it was never about what's in the best interest of the country is what's in the best interest of me. And so no one would ever uh, agree to that stuff. Um, the other problem was when they were trying to get laws passed, it was nine out of 13. Now that's doable. Okay. You can get nine states to agree to something. And they did a few things. They did the, the whole land ordinance and the Northwest ordinance and those things. But that was really it. There wasn't a lot of laws coming out of the Articles of Confederation that we can look back and say, hey, that was really good. Uh, structure of the government under the Articles. Okay. So remember there was a Congress, very weak Congress, couldn't do much, remember. Uh, there was no executive branch. There was no president. There was no figurehead to look to and say, hey, that's our, our leader. Uh, nothing like that. The federal courts were non-existent. There were no federal courts. It was all state courts. And so uh, you can have one law or one state decide about this about a law and then another state interpret a different way. So that was a problem. So that was the structure. The amendment process. Remember, it's a two-step process. You've got the national level, then you got the state level. So this is an example of federalism. Uh, so uh, an amendment has to be proposed at the national level, either Congress or a national convention. Remember, we've never done the national convention. We've only ever done Congress. So I propose an amendment. If two-thirds of both sides agree, so House and the Senate, two-thirds, two-thirds of 535, whatever that number is, about 460-something maybe. Um, Pardon interruption, Ms. Sorry. Donahue. I have a parent in the front office for a meeting. Ms. Donahue, thank you. I apologize. That's one of the drawbacks of recording after school. Um, so, um, so it's um, it's proposed, and then two thirds of the House and the Senate have to agree to it. All righty, and then you've got it goes to the, the the states, and the states are going to need three fourths. Now it can be state legislatures or it can be state conventions. We've only done the state conventions once. It's typically going to be state legislatures because they're already in place. But three-fourths of the states have to agree to it to ratify it. All right, federal grants. Uh, federal grants, this is the money that uh, the federal government uses to convince the states to do what they, what they need them to do. Remember, there's two types. There's categorical and there's block. Categorical, this is where uh, the states have strings attached to the money. So here's your money, but you got to spend it here. You got to spend it this way. You got to keep records. You got to show us. And if you don't, you lose the money. Block grants are the freer money, uh, meaning that the states can do kind of what they want with it. All righty. Uh, thank you very much. The uh, block grants typically will be a federal program, but the states can run it how they would like to. Welfare is an example of this. Okay. Um, here's the federal money, but states, you can choose how you run this. You don't have to show us what you're doing. We, you just run it how you want to. U.S. versus Lopez in an older case that had the same constitutional principle. So U.S. versus Lopez deals with the Commerce Compromise, uh, excuse me, not Compromise, but the Commerce Clause. And in this case, Lopez brought a gun to school. He was charged at the state level. The federal government decided we we're going to charge him too. Lopez fought those charges. He said the federal government doesn't have a right to charge me here. Okay, you're overstepping. The Commerce Clause does not allow you to come in and enforce this here at school. That was the argument. That's why it's U.S. versus Lopez and not Lopez versus Texas or something like that, because he wasn't fighting the state charges. He wasn't denying the fact that he brought a gun to school. He did not want to be charged by the federal government. And uh, the Supreme Court is going to rule in his favor and say, yeah, federal government, you're overstepping here. The Commerce Clause allows you to affect interstate commerce. Schools have nothing to do with interstate commerce. And so they kind of, they kicked out that part, the federal charges. Uh, the older case uh, is Gibbons versus Ogden. 
it dealt with the Commerce Clause as well. I'm not going to go into the details about it. Um, well, I guess I will real quick. Um, two people had a charter, one from New York, one from New Jersey, uh, to be the only steamboat operators on the harbor, uh, the Hudson River. And they disagreed and went to court. Supreme Court said, no, Congress is the only one that can control that Commerce Clause. Uh, Article 6 of the Constitution. Uh, Article 6 is the Supremacy Clause. Uh, Constitution is number one. It is the end-all, be-all for discussions when we're trying to decide what is the law of the land. It's the Constitution. And then number two is federal laws. So those two things come first. Okay, They supersede state laws and things like that. Uh, think back to McCullough versus Maryland and with the state trying to get rid of the, the Bank of the United States. States can't do that. Federal things come before states. Alrighty. Now, today, you know, states are still trying to get away with stuff. Uh, you think of the marijuana laws and it's still breaking federal law. If you bring marijuana from Colorado that you bought legally there to another state, you're going to be arrested or could be if you get caught. Uh, full faith and credit, privileges, immunities and extradition. Very quickly, full faith and credit. This deals with contracts, uh, court decisions and, and, and items along those lines. OK, um, states are going to honor other states stuff. And I know that's a very technical term, their stuff, but they're going to honor each other's things. All right. Decisions. Uh, I'm an example. I always use myself as an example. I got married for the first time in Florida, came to Georgia with my, my wife. We didn't have to get remarried up here. Georgia just recognized that we were married because Florida had recognized. Then we got divorced here in Georgia. I didn't have to go down to Florida to get divorced. I just just Florida recognized. OK, got married a second time. Every, if I move somewhere else, they'll recognize it. It's just it's how it goes. Privileges and immunities just deals with your citizenship. Basically, there's not going to be any special treatment <clears throat> for uh, people of one state over another. So if you know you go to a different state as a visitor or something like that, there's not any special rules and laws that you have to follow. It's just everything's going to apply to you. Now, we talk about college tuition in here and why they can do out-of-state tuition versus in-state tuition is because you're not paying into taxes for these out-of-state places. And then extradition, that is just the fact that if you do something wrong in one state and you get caught in another, the state that catches you will send you back to the other state. They'll, they'll work out some kind of agreement. You know, there are some things that can get tricky if, it's, if, if you've done something bad in multiple states or whatever. They have to work on some stuff, but for the most part, they're going to work it out. Federal mandates, these are just requirements directives from the federal government. Hey, states, you're going to do this. Sometimes they are funded. So here's money. Do it. Sometimes they are underfunded. Here's some money. Get it done. Sometimes they are completely unfunded. Americans with Disabilities uh, Act is an example of that. States, you're going to retrofit all your state buildings and make them handicap accessible. No money. Okay. Uh, but mandates are just directives. Citizens United versus FEC. Uh, in this case, uh, Citizens United is a conservative group back in 19, uh, not 1908, I'm trying to go back way too far. In 2008, uh, they made a movie called Hillary, the movie, and it was going to make Hillary Clinton, who was a candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination, look very bad. Her and her campaign staff did not want this to happen, obviously. So they go to the FEC. The FEC puts a stop to the movie. They say that because Citizens United took money from businesses and corporations and those groups under the McCain-Feingold Act are limited where they can give their money and how it can be spent and things like that, it's illegal. You got to stop. So that's where the fight comes from. That's where the suit comes from. And the Supreme Court is going to agree with Citizens United because Citizens United is saying, hey, these groups have free speech. 
So now campaign money is tied to free speech. They have free speech. They have the ability to give the money and the right to give the money who they want to and to be spent how, how, how they deem it. So it's about a free speech thing. Okay. Social media campaigns, it's changed the way people campaign. Uh, you can you know, find almost every campaign on um, social media. You know, there's, there's probably social media uh, handles popping up for all the campaigns that are going to be for 2022. Uh, but the candidates like it, politicians like it because they can speak directly to people versus running a commercial, being on a TV show, and they can't talk, they can't interact versus you know, the social media, they can send the message directly to them. You know, it doesn't have to go through the media uh, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, how interest group gain influence? All right. So the main way is campaign donations, money, spending, things like that. Uh, they will give lots of money to candidates that they think are going to give them the best chance to, to have some influence uh, on the topics that concern them. So they're going to spend a lot of money on the campaigns, uh, both giving money to candidates and also spending money on candidates because they are limited to how much they can donate. Uh, they can only donate a certain amount. So they give that uh, number, whatever it is, and then they'll also go and they will run commercials, give money to PACs, political action committees, remember those things, uh, and all that kind of stuff. The other thing they're going to do is lobby. Remember, they will lobby. Um, remember, that is where an interest group will hire someone, hire an individual to go and try and talk to congressmen. And what are they talking about? Hey, let's talk about the weather. No, they're they're talking about bills and laws and, and things like that that are coming through the House, that are coming through the Senate, that this congressman can affect. Congressmen have the ability to change laws when it's in committee. They have the chance to kill bills while it's in committee. You know, we haven't got to that. We'll do that in the legislative branch unit when we get there. Um, but they have a lot of power there. Okay. Uh, political parties versus interest groups. Two big differences. Political parties are broad. Remember, they have to be concerned about everything in a country, economics, uh, policy, all that kind of stuff, foreign policy, what's going on in other countries. Interest groups are very narrow. They're only concerned about their one issue. The other difference, political parties want to run people for office. They want to win office. They want to control the presidency. They want to control Congress. They want to control the governorships. They want to control the state legislatures. Interest groups just want to influence those people, okay, and get changed that way. Roles of the political parties, uh, some of the big things is to try and win elections. Uh, they do that by raising money, helping with the campaigns. Uh, they will also work very hard on candidacy, All right, not necessarily the president. Remember, we are more can, uh, candidate-centered campaigns nowadays. The party takes a back seat, but at the congressional level, um, the parties really play a big role in picking and choosing who's going to run where and trying to strategize. You know, they're going to look for places where there's weak Congress people that they can run strong candidates against. They'll run weak candidates against strong candidates, so on and so forth. There's a lot of strategy that goes into that. Uh, media and citizens demand for information. Okay, so remember, you know, uh, first off, we live in a fast-paced world, and I want information now. And so that information desire has led to the media, you know, kind of being uh, a different thing now. Now there's 24-hour news. All the news media are on social media, and they race to be the first one to report something. Um, so a lot of stuff goes into that. And like I said in class, if you're paying attention, be careful with your social media news, all right, because there is a race to be first and not necessarily be right. So always, always check that stuff. Uh, perspective, retrospective, and rational choice voting. Perspective voting. 
This means I'm looking at the future and I'm going to vote for a candidate that I think is going to do the best for the country, for the state, for the locality in the future. Maybe not necessarily for me, but what's going to be the best for the country, the state, whoever. Uh, retrospective voting, I'm looking at the past. Who's done the best for me in the past? You can't really do this with a challenger because you can't tell what that person has done uh, in the past. They don't have a voting record, for, probably. And then rational choice, who's the best for me? What's going to do the best for me? Who's going to do what's best for me? 24th Amendment effects. All right, so the 24th Amendment got rid of the poll tax. All right, got rid of that barrier uh, that had been created for so long to try and stop African-Americans from voting. So got rid of that. Uh, and so obviously, if there's no barrier now, it increases the electorate. So people who had not been able to vote beforehand uh, because they couldn't afford the poll tax or whatever it was, can now go and go vote. Why is there more turnout in presidential elections than in the midterm? I kind of went off on a little tangent here in a soapbox because I do feel strongly that people really need to pay attention to the midterms more so than the presidency. But uh, America as a whole really puts a lot of importance on the presidency, even though the president can't do anything without Congress. Okay. So uh, anyways, that's why there's more turnout. People just put uh, this huge, they put this, the president on this pedestal um, and that's the most important position. Okay. Uh, I don't think it is. I think Congress is more. Uh, Democratic ideologies, Republican ideologies, conservatives versus liberals. So we're combining 27 and 30 if you're looking at your uh, review sheet. Um, all right. Democrat slash liberal. Uh, they are going to be pro-worker, pro-environment, pro-giving individual choice. Okay. Uh, they will want to um, tax the rich, wealthy. Okay. They're going to be pro-environment, um, more government, bigger government, more regulation, uh, especially on businesses and corporations and things like that. Uh, Republicans slash conservatives, they are going to be um, lower taxes, less government, less individual choice for you. Uh, uh, did I say pro-business? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Pro-military. So those are the, the big things there. Okay. I think most people are probably pretty familiar with these, these two. It's just so out there and in your face nowadays. Uh, if you're not sure, let me know and we can talk it out. Libertarians uh, are going to be the opposite of really both parties. They're going to be, hey, the government should exist for the very basicest, oh, is that a word? Uh, the most basic necessities. And then after that, it's individual choice. You get to make choices. Why should the government dictate to you uh, what you can do? what you can put into your body, what you can do with your body, what you can do here, there, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yes, there should be rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it boils down to your choice. Uh, if you notice, I skipped 28. It's because I took it off the test. So it's not on there. Wisconsin versus Yoder, Ingle versus Vital. All right. Wisconsin versus Yoder is a free exercise case. Uh, Ingle versus Vital is an establishment clause case. So this comes from the First Amendment. It comes from the freedom of religion. Uh, the free exercise says you worship how you want to, as long as it's not illegal. Establishment clause says the government will not create a state-sponsored religion. All right, so Wisconsin versus Yoder. This was the Amish case. The Amish wanted to pull their kids out of school after maybe eighth grade, I think it was. All righty. Wisconsin state law said you can't pull your kids out until after 10th grade or 16 or something like that. So that was the, the basis of the case. Amish wanted to pull their kids out. So they're going to sue. The Supreme Court eventually will get this case, and they will rule in favor of the Amish. They will say that the Wisconsin state law the one that says you can't pull your kids out until they're 16, is in violation 
of the Amish's free exercise. All right. And so the state law, uh, the Amish can now pull their kids out of school. Engel versus Vital is the prayer school case. Back in the 60s, you could be, you would be led in prayer. I would have, every class, I would have led you in prayer. Small, short little prayer. Okay. Um, and some parents didn't like that. Basically sued for a lack of a better word. And the Supreme Court is going to agree with them. And they're going to cite the establishment clause because schools are government run entities. Okay. And you got to have a separation church state. So because the teachers were leading the prayer, making the kids pray, that was going to be uh, too much. And that was too much religion. And so now uh, you'll never find, you, well, I say you know, you're probably not going to find too many teachers that can try and lead you in prayer. I guess maybe you can. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to. Okay. Now, does that mean you can't pray in school? No, you can pray in school. And you can say a prayer before the midterm if you want to. But I'm not going to lead you. All right. I'm not going to say let's hold hands and say a prayer. This is never going to happen. All right, political socialization, pretty easy. And I think it's a pretty low-level question on the test. Uh, it's just where you get your beliefs from. And uh, number one answer is usually family, typically. Uh, some people might argue friends, school, but typically it's going to be family because you spend so much time with them and you listen to them. Well, my kids don't listen to me, but yeah, maybe you listen to yours. Uh, public opinion polls, uh, remember these things are going to be uh, run by both the media and by politicians. Uh, trying to get an idea of what do the people want, what do the people need, what do the people believe, and it is all kinds of uses. All right, politicians in office are running it. How should I vote on an issue? What do the people want? What do the people need? Politicians that are running for office, what do the people need? What do they want me to talk about? How should I address them? So, so forth. Okay, uh, the media, it gives them talking points. They can talk about when it's campaign season, who's winning, who's losing, who looks bad, who looks good, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, remember the sample size uh, matters. Uh, who is a part of the sample size? What demographics? You know, remember, I can get the answer I want for a poll. Um, if I want it to be right-leaning, then I'll go talk to Republicans. If I want it to be left-leaning, then I'll go get it. I'll go talk to, to Democrats. It's, you, know, you can make the poll how you want it and say what you want. So a valid poll is going to be a wide variety of people. Uh, Articles of Confederation versus the Constitution. Uh, this question is one of those column questions where you have to compare the two. And I think if I remember correctly on the test, this one is going to be uh, where you have the articles and their weakness and then how the Constitution fixed it. So, for example, there's no president under the Articles of Confederation. How do they fix that? Well, Article 2 creates a presidency, an executive branch. Uh, under the Articles, there's no judicial branch. How do they fix that? Well, Article 3 of the Constitution creates a judicial branch. So what are the, the weaknesses and what are the fixes? All right. That is it, guys. Uh, if you have questions about it, I know this is coming out late. I did not get to record during my planning period. Uh, just things happen. So uh, if you have questions, please feel free to uh, you hit me up on the, the text, how I'm sending this out. Um, the remind text, if you get that stuff, if you, uh, get, um, email better for you, then shoot me an email to the school account, uh, or the Yahoo account, coach D underscore 1977 at yahoo.com. I'm always uh, getting those emails to my phone. Uh, you can hit me up on the Twitter, uh, the school account, 
chhsgov underscore civics, uh, or you can use the uh, K Daniels AP Gov, and I'll respond to any questions on those things. All right, guys. Uh, as always, let me know if I can help you, um, and I'll see you in class. All right, guys. Later.